When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, beyond that, we probably, like, if you came to a session with me, that's probably the first 20, 20 minutes is working on mechanics. And then the rest of it, like, we're going to get out there and we're going to get rolling. Like, we're going to bring receivers in. We're going to go through pass drops. We're going to work on how to read the field, you know, eye progression. You know, that was something that was, like, where I think Dan really opened my eyes was eye progression, you know, and how the eyes move and scan into routes and that kind of thing. So working and helping kids do that has been something that I've really spent time on. We're back for another week of our Passing Lab series. Another good one here with Drew Ambrose, who's the offensive coordinator at Franklin High School in Wisconsin. And joining me as he does every week to host this series is Josh Hearing who's the quarterback coach at Lassiter High School. So, Josh, it's been a fun and exciting series so far. Some great information shared by these coaches, and this is certainly another one in line with that. Yeah, this one's really enjoyable. Drew's a great guest. That You always look for guys at really good programs, and he's a part of a really good program. And I think the big thing is also a lot of get further and further north and maybe gets a little more cold. You can't throw, and that's one of the things where you're going to hear Drew talk about in the pot is that's a myth. And so that's good for all the passing game guys out there to have that as ammunition well it's good and it's bad I mean there's probably a lot of guys out there who don't want people to know that you can't throw in the cold (laughs) that's right absolutely well as I said it's another enjoyable one so here's our episode with Drew Ambrose offensive coordinator at Franklin High School in Milwaukee Wisconsin what you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. 
Welcome everybody back to the Passing Lab. Really excited about tonight's guest. We've got Drew Ambrose. Drew is a great passing game mind. He's the offensive coordinator at Franklin High School in Wisconsin. They were 2021 state champions. You may know Drew's also heavily involved with some clinics that have taken place. He really got the ball rolling on the Zoom clinics for the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association. And I'm super excited to talk to Drew about the passing game. Drew, thanks for being on, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's been good. Uh, you know, you and I kind of connected a little bit recently, so it's been good getting to know you and talking ball. So I'm excited. I know people are going to love uh, what you got to say tonight, and we're we're going to jump right in. So you are a guy who loves to throw the football, and you're in Wisconsin, and and there are people who would probably think, you know, that those things do not go hand in hand, and the guys that there's still a misconception that you can't throw the ball in bad weather, or cold weather. We got people listening all over the country. Uh, Talk to us about what life is like in the frozen tundra up there throwing the rock around. <laughs> well, actually, so here's a good statistic for you to kind of, I don't know, alleviate that maybe that myth a little bit uh, that you can't throw the ball when it gets cold and, and nasty outside. So the, we won the state title in 2021. And if you look at our take our statistics from uh, the state quarterfinals, the semifinals and the finals game, we threw for 985 yards and we rushed for 307 yards and we won the state title. So in, in November. So, you know, I think the guys that I know I've seen that on, on social media quite a bit too. guys talk about, well, Hey, if you want to win, if you want to win a state title in Wisconsin, you've got to be able to run the ball. Well, we did run the ball a little bit, but we threw the ball a lot more and we had a lot more success throwing the ball. So it can be done. Now the weather, it wasn't crazy for those three games. The quarterfinal game was probably maybe, I don't know, maybe in the 40s or something like that. So it wasn't too bad. Now, the semifinal game was pretty brutal. It was like 35 and raining all day. So it sucked. Uh, it was windy. It was nasty. I was in the box and I was freezing. I was wearing a, a, my winter jacket plus a hoodie underneath it. And I was freezing up there. Um, and then the state title game was like in the 30s and windy. And we were still able to throw the ball. So, you know, I'm not saying that uh, everybody can do that, but that's what we were good at that year, right? Like we had, we had a quarterback that's now at, at the University of Wisconsin. We had a receiver who's at the University of Iowa and our other two other receivers are, one is playing division two ball at Winona State in Minnesota. And the other one is still with us right now. He's going to be a senior this year. He's already got some D2 offers and some FCS offers. So we had really good players and that's what we were good at. So we kept doing it. Now, we've had some games, you know, typically rain affects us more than like cold and snow. I think we've had one game that I can remember in the past few years. I think it was a 2019 where it, it snowed during the game and we, it really had little to no effect on us. You know, the, the kid that was our quarterback that's at, at playing for the Badgers now was a sophomore. And I think we won that game like 49 to 14 or something. So, uh, I mean, do we have a plan for it? Yes. You know, if, if the weather is that bad and we're having troubles, like we'll probably go under center a little bit more. You know, we do still do that. I know a lot of teams don't anymore. We practice that every day. We, we can run our whole offense from under center if we need to. And, and then, you know, we, we obviously have past concepts that we feel more comfortable when the weather is bad. But, uh, you know, it, it varies, too, depending on who that kid is. If it's a kid that we feel, you know, confident that he can get out there and sling it when it's nasty outside, then we're going to keep doing it. So that, that's kind of my philosophy on that. So that's great stuff for, for me. You know, rain, whatever, never, never practiced, but never played a game in snow in Georgia and Alabama. It's never snowed during a game for us. It has before, but not for us. Wind, you know, wind bothers me a little bit. That's 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 mm -hmm. something you worry about. I'll give you one quick tip. I probably shouldn't give this secret. 
but this is a super secret thing about in Georgia, you know, if it gets like below 50 degrees, we're losing our mind about the cold. So go to your local Chick-fil-A that supports your program. Get those those warmers that they use for chicken sandwiches. Put your balls in them in pregame. Quarterbacks love it. So that's free advice for you guys out there. That's a super secret thing that we've used in our program. You got any super secret things that you use in Wisconsin to make sure the ball's ready to go, your quarterback's hands are warm? <laughs> we we actually have we have one of the bags that like the NFL teams have. You know, you can they're actually oh, designed God. to put the footballs in and, and they're made to <laughs> You can actually put, they have little pockets to put hand warmers in them. <laughs> so I don't know that nice. everybody has that. We actually got introduced to it by our baseball coach. So he he had bought some other bags from, from the, I forget the name of the company now. And he, he just pulled, pulled me aside one day. He's like, hey, I was looking through the catalog and they have football ones. You guys, they're like 200 bucks. You guys want one? And I was like, absolutely. Like, we'll <laughs> take one, man. So we have one of those. So that's what we use when we actually use it every game. You know, obviously if it's nice outside, we don't put hand warmers in it. But once it gets a little cool out, I mean, 50 degrees for us is probably half of our season. So, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> well, it's good. So we we go bootleg, and you guys have the nice stuff. So that's that's what I took from this. <laughs> that's good stuff. People be looking that up like crazy. So we're yeah. we'll get actually into the we'll get into some real ball talk now. So. Tell me about kind of your influences. I know we've talked a little bit about this. I think you have a really interesting take on the passing game. and It's got a lot of cool influences. Kind of what's influenced what you guys have put together at Franklin? I think like you, Dan Gonzalez has been a huge influence on me. I first came across him, I think, I don't know if it was on social media somewhere or maybe just his website and his blog. And just the way that he explained the passing game, like, to me, I, I, I never played quarterback growing up. Like I grew up, I actually played for a wing T team in high school and I was like a, a halfback. We, we had games that we never threw a pass, right? And I, I played safety on defense. I played both sides of the ball. So like I, I understood coverages and that stuff, but I never had seen someone talk about passing game the way that he did and, and having like, you know, different ways to go through progressions and different navigation tags and the ways that he explained being able to you know, have all these different options, basically. You know, I when I first got into coaching, you know, we were running like double smash and slant flat on both sides and right. double seams of hitches on the outside. And it was like, you read one guy, you know? And, and as I started looking into his stuff, that really like expanded my mind and, and it took off from there. So, you know, I, I took a lot from him. And then when I got to Franklin, the guy that was the OC previous to me was still on staff. And he actually had, and I, I don't remember if he GA'd or if he was like a QC, but he had worked at Bowling Green when Urban Meyer was the head coach. So I, I learned a bunch from him. And then my first season at Franklin was 2019, which just happened to be the year that, you know, Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase were lighting yeah. it up at LSU. And that offense, I'm sure everybody, you know, watched that and they were like, oh, this is great. But I, I really took a deep dive into that offense. I was fortunate that I actually had two guys that I had played with in college that were assistant strength coaches at LSU. So I kind of had some access. I had a little bit of an in there. So I kind of had a little bit of inside info on some of the stuff that they were doing. And that offense nowadays is probably the biggest influence on what we do as far as the concepts that we run. And then along with the stuff that I learned from Dan, actually, they're 
they're very similar. A lot of the stuff that they did, you know, the way that they were reading plays and, and looking at things pre-snap, you know, how they were having Joe Burrow decide which side of the field to work. It was a lot of the same stuff that I learned, you know, either reading Dan's books or going through his blog or, you know, listening to him on podcasts. So those probably currently are the two biggest influences that I have as far as the passing game goes. I mean, it's, you know, I think the, that 2019 LSU team, it's like you, you can, I go back and watch it just about every off season still. And you still see things that I'm like, man, that's, <laughs> you know, the, the things that they were able to do. And I get like, guys will say, well, yeah, they had like 10 first round draft picks. Yes, they did. Right. But the simplicity of what they did, or I shouldn't say simplicity, but like they didn't have a ton of stuff that they did, you know, like they figured out what they were good at and they doubled down on it and they got really, really good at it. And that's what they kept running over and over and over again. And that's kind of the philosophy of where I've tried to go with our offenses, find those things, a handful of things that we're really good at. And we're going to go with those, you know, now we'll mix other stuff in. Like, you know, I, I every year I, I always have Dan's books. I got the re, was it recoded and reloaded? And I have the read and right. shoot ones, you know, I'm always looking through those like, all right, there's something something I can add, you know, what, maybe just for one game, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. Those are definitely the two biggest that I would say currently that we're, we're using stuff from. Yeah, that's great. You know, I think the thing I've talked to LSU with several guys and we've even talked about them on the pod so far. And I have, it's that for that specific season. And I think guys can take from that sophisticated can be simple. Like sophisticated doesn't have to be complicated. You know what I mean? And like they had a sophisticated exactly. that was simple for them, but it had answers for everything that you needed. And they got the ball in playmakers hands. And uh, I think that's been an influence on what we do too. Like uh, right now, like in your current off season study, who are you looking at? So this year I, so we're in a fortunate position that we have a couple of really good tight ends in our program right now. So I actually looked and, and watched Georgia just to watch um, what they were doing with their tight ends because they're kind of you know in the same boat. They'd line up in a lot of 12 personnel, sometimes 13, you know. Um, so I, I studied a lot of what they did, especially in the run game, how they were able to use those guys and then just how they were able to formation those guys and move them around. You know, we're in a situation where we have every skill player on our offense is returning from this past year. So we have a really good team coming back. So we're, we feel like we can make another run at a state title this year. But we're going to be mixing in now, you know, a couple of tight ends that are really good. One is going to be a senior, one's going to be a junior. And then we have another that's a receiver that, that is a bigger body that can slide in there too if we need him. So that was a big one for me was just checking on what they were doing. Ohio State's been one the past couple of years that I, I've liked to check out a lot too. I like a lot of the stuff that they do as far as run game. You know, we're big outside zone duo team. We use a lot of that similar to them. And then the past game, they've had a, quite a few pretty cool things. And then I also checked out UCLA this year, kind of for the same reason that I did Georgia, just the way that they were, you know, Chip Kelly's gotten more into the, you know, pro style using tight ends from where he used to be at Oregon. So seeing what they were doing in the run game, I've also been really heavily influenced like his, his Y cross and his mesh stuff has been really good for us past few years so that's something that i always like to watch and see like if he's got any new evolutions with those so those are the big three that i really checked out yeah those are really good ones and that that put some really good stuff on film being you know being in georgia myself todd monk and the job that he did and just i mean man how good they were the last two years on offense and that defense is so good they didn't get enough credit maybe and i think this year finally they kind of got out of the shadow, even though that defense was still <laughs> pretty salty. Yes. But uh, they were did some really good stuff. 
especially if you got a, a Blake Bowers type guy, you can you yeah. can do a lot of stuff, no doubt about yep, it. Yep, that helps. <laughs> sure. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Raise has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalraise.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective, so I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www.teammofo.com demo and mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code CC10 to receive 10% off your first year. So let's get into some passing actual concepts. And you've got some really good stuff, uh, some stuff that we've talked about that I like. And uh, just something, if there was a guy, you know, he's listening to the podcast and maybe he's trying to dip his toe in these passing game waters and he's like, I don't know about all this stuff. You know, these guys, they all wear visors and, you know, what's going on with them? I don't know. But what's a pass play? You would say, you know what, you've got to run this pass play. This is really good. And I think, you know, it applies to multiple guys, multiple systems. And let's just start talking about it and you'll kind of coach me up as we go through it. Right. Yeah. So actually, I'm going to go with the one that, you know, you, me and and Wilkinson were just talking about this one the other night is, you know, right back to 2019 LSU, right, is the, uh, you know, we call it chief. It's a corner flat concept to the to the boundary. You probably saw them run this, I don't know seven, eight times a game, I'd say. So we well, we run it multiple different formations. We typically do it with a compressed split from our X, and then our back is going to be set to the boundary. And we have the, the X is going to run a short corner, you know, about an eight-yard corner route with the ability to, you know, uh, he can really flatten that out almost into like a 10-yard out or so based off of, you know, that dominant position of the corner or how to say maybe they, they cloud it and the safety gets over top, you know, that kind of thing. And then the back is going to release free to the flat, you know, on an arrow, we call an arrow route. He's aiming somewhere two to three yards deep, running towards the sideline. He can throttle down as he gets outside of the numbers there just to make sure that he's not getting too wide. So that, that, that concept, just that side of the field right there has been one of our most consistently great plays in the passing game. It's, it's great. Um, I, I love it. It's a good first down play. It's a great, you know, second and short, second and long play. And it's one of our most used or my, or my most called like third medium concepts as well. I love it there. And then on, on the backside, the trip side, 
Now, this is where, you know, we vary. And I know talking with Jay too, he, he is, it, it was interesting. Actually, we had made the exact same adjustment to this play. LSU originally did it with drive on the backside. So they'd have the, you know, they'd probably run it from a three by one with like a, you know, the Y off, he'd run a dig. And then the number two is going to run the shallow cross. And then the number one is going to run like a five yard in route behind it. Now on paper, and you could draw it on the whiteboard, you know, if you're looking at how it plays out and how the defense can cover it, you know, like, let's say, uh, you know, the, whether the corner is going to cloud, right. And then the safety is going to take, you know, the, the corner route, and then you have the dig and the shallow coming in, you should be able to, you know, you, you would assume the way things play out that the, one of those routes is going to come into your vision open, or, you know, if the corner drops off, the linebacker chases the boundary safety kicks to the field, you know, you would assume that you're going to have one of those routes coming in. And for whatever reason, we just never had success with that. So what we did is we actually changed it now to having like a middle, kind of a middle read-ish type route, you know, kind of like a pipe route right down the middle of the field from our number three. And he can kind of bend that off too, if he needs to, like, especially if we see like a one high, which we, we don't see much of. And then number two is going to run like a five yard whip route. And then number one is going to run a 10 yard speed dig coming in. And the way that we've gone to reading it now is, you know, we, like I said, Dan and LSU, you know, I took Dan's, what he calls a, a numbers read or a niner read in, in his system. Um, and we've, we've applied that to it so that we're, you know, we're going to have our quarterback is got eyes right down the hash in that boundary safety. And if that safety kicks to the field, you know, if he rotates back to the field, then we know we're working the corner to the flat. Or if he's going to play out, like let's say they're playing cloud and that safety is going to come off the hash and widen over the corner. Now we know that we're going to work back to the field. And that's been one of our most consistently great plays for us. I mean, whether we've hit the front side of the corner, that's probably, I would say, 70% of the time, or we've had a ton of success in the intermediate game hitting that big route on the backside too. So that's been, like I said, just an outstanding concept once we made that that switch. But before it was like, you know, if we didn't hit the corner or the flat, I kind of felt like our quarterback got hung out to dry a little bit sometimes for, for whatever reason. You know, I, I don't know what it was because, like I said, and we talked about this the other night is on paper and on the whiteboard, like, I don't, it, it should work, right? Like it, it theoretically should work, uh, but we just weren't able to pull it off. So once we made that change of that backside, it's been really good too. And, and we've had times too, where we've ran some stuff, um, you know, we've ran like an inverted smash on the backside as well from time to time, just depending on what we're seeing from the defense. But yeah, that that's been Probably aside from like our middle read three verticals concept, probably our most used pass play of the past few years. Yeah, that's a really good pass play. So I've got a couple questions for you on it. So the the shortened corner route, like what's the thought process behind, you know, going eight yards or having a little bit quicker of a corner route and that boundary <clears throat> route, maybe what a lot of guys are used to with a 10 to 12 yard corner. Yeah, well, into the boundary, obviously your your space is compressed at the high school level with the wide hashes. So that's part of it. The other thing too is we don't compress the X's split a ton. So I feel like some teams catch on to it right. and, and they used to see like, you know, I think a lot of guys look at it on film and they see, okay, well, he's running a corner route. Like he's probably going to get the, you know, 10 to 12 yards and run a corner route. And I don't know how detailed everybody is, but I, I know I can tell from experience that, there are guys that clearly didn't scout that well enough and realize that we do cut it a little bit short and we've been able to break it off underneath either, like I said, a, either a corner that's dropped off in quarters or, a, you know, a, 
if they're playing cloud, the safety coming over the top, we've been able to hit it underneath quite a bit. So that was one of them. The other one too, is we will run a double move off of it. We'll, we'll run the, the copper out or corner post off of it. That's been a, been a pretty, pretty good play for us. That just kind of creates the space versus all of a sudden, you know, if you're normally running it at 10 to 12 yards and hey, he cuts it short at eight, you know, we didn't want it to be a tip against the, you know, a kid that was a better player that could read that. So those are a couple of the reasons why we do it that way. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a great answer. If, when you run the cop with the single, do you go back to having more of that drive type concept to the middle of the field? So it's getting underneath the safety. Is that kind of what you're working? Yes. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yep. It's going to look like we basically take the number three that's running kind of that middle pipe route and we have him also run a dig. So you're going to basically get, uh, you know, a dig from three, a dig for one, and then the whip route from number two. So that way yeah, we, we tell him when we do that, I want you to run right at that weak side safety and like stare him down directly to his face and try to get his attention, you know, because we, we see a decent amount of teams that are going to play like solo poach or you know, whatever guys call it that kind of thing. We, we see a good amount of that. So if we're getting that look, that's a great situation that we're going to call that cop route. Yeah. You mentioned, you talked about that middle read at number three going vertical. And I, I just think that's something guys don't do enough of. It's a cheat code for the quarterback and figuring out the coverage because who carries number three vertical and it mm-hmm. clears out space. And so I think you're making a great point about that, just about what it does defensively you can immediately figure out what that boundary safety is doing and whether or not you're going to be clean into the boundary and it's that's I mean it's a really good idea and I think the great thing about that the concept you're going over is anytime you've got something that's a good p and 10 first and 10 third medium type pass I mean that's what you want to pass to be if it's good in all those situations then it's just a ball play and it's a good all-around you know pass and we're always I know all of us are looking for those plays that Lincoln Riley talks about that are good against 80% of coverages that we just feel good about. So that's really good. Really good. I think anybody listening should be able to take that and be like, Hey, I can do this regardless of offense. It's, it's a simple concept. It's got a smash sort of a curl flat. It's draining out coverage with number three is a great play. So really like that one myself. It's also great from different formations too. uh, I was going to mention, we, we like to split our, uh, you know, you can do it with like a nub tight end set. It's good from that. Yes. We will put, we'll go like the nub tight end, flex our tight end out a little bit too, especially if you want a bigger body matched up on a smaller, you know, smaller corner or something over there. So very versatile. That's, that's good. Great point. You know, you'll see that's a great pass for maybe we don't see it as much in high school, but all those NFL and college teams that are going to be in that slightly flex tight end nub set where it gives you kind of a man zone coverage indicator. It's a really good pass for that. So, so versatile, uh, such a good play. So let's talk really quick passing game podcast. Let's talk quarterbacks for a second. I know, in my opinion, I think you're pretty up on the newest kind of latest quarterback stuff. I'm a big Tom House guy. And he said he has a quote. I'm butchering the quote, but I love this. I say it all the time to my quarterbacks. But Tom House said something to the effect of every one of us is coaching something now that we'll be wrong about in five years. And I think that applies more probably to quarterback coaching right now than anything in the game of football. I really now some of this was like hubris and and overconfidence. But I'm telling you, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I felt like I understood the science of throwing motion. I felt like I understood biomechanics a little bit and I could use these fancy words. And 10 years later, I'm like, I don't know squat about quarterback play. And it's evolving and changing. And the stuff that these guys told us was science 10 years ago, that this is inescapable science. Now it's like, oh, that's totally wrong. 
That's not, you know, that's not what Patrick Mahomes does anymore. It's not what Tom Brady does. So I want to talk to you a little bit about how coaching quarterbacks has evolved for you or what you've seen that's different now than what's been going on out there, you know, maybe just a few years ago and kind of how fast this thing is advancing. Yeah, I mean, it's a constant evolution. Yeah, I feel like you said, I mean, I feel like there's sometimes where I go like a month later and I'm like, oh, damn, what I was I was doing that a couple weeks ago and now I'm already like, oh, man, I got to change this stuff. So it happens quick. Yeah, I mean. You know, I think I went from being, especially me, um, you know, I, I've been kind of doing the the quarterback training stuff for almost 10 years now. Uh, 2015 is when I started. I kind of just got into it like sort of by accident. I had a kid on my team that was going to work with a private QB trainer down in the Chicago area, and he was starting up a new camp series. So I guys have probably heard of it. It's called Rise and Fire. It's pretty big in Chicago. And he asked if I would be willing to help out at the camp. And I was like, yeah, you know, sure. I can come learn and, you know, help out at a camp, get paid a little money and get a bunch of free gear. Like, yeah, I'm all in. So I did that. And then in the process, like just happened to meet a bunch of kids that were there that were from like the Milwaukee area. And they asked me if, if they, I would be interested in doing some private training for them just because it was closer than them driving all the way to Chicago. So that's kind of how I got into it. But back at that stage, I knew like next to nothing about like <laughs> throwing mechanics and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was like, you know, thinking like, okay, well, who, what else, what other positions throw things, you know? And I, I was, was like, okay, well, a pitcher, you know, in baseball, because I, I played baseball growing up. So, you know, I was teaching things that like, you know, you do with the pitcher, you know, like the old, like, all right, break the glass with your elbow type thing, you know, right. which come to find out is like the exact opposite of what you want to be doing. Um, you know, <laughs> exactly. just things like that. So it, it's gotten, you know, to the point of things sometimes like you go on social media and it's like, you know, guys are arguing over some stupid stuff and it's like, I, I, I don't, I try not to get involved in a whole lot of that stuff. But um, I think where we're at right now is I think probably I've gotten to like less is more with certain things. Like I've found kind of the few things that I feel like are the really key things. Stride length and ball separation is a big one, you know, and making sure that you're not separating too early that, you know, your stride is timed up with your arms hitting opposite equal. I feel like those are pretty good, uh, a starting point that, you know, a lot of kids struggle with. They either stride, their stride is too big, too long, or they're separating too early, which is allowing their, their arms are getting ahead of their lower body too much. That's a big one. As far as like the arm path and all that stuff goes, to be honest with you, I very rarely mess with the kid's arm. You know, they're throwing actual like arm throwing motion. Like I just don't do a ton with that because I, I did for a little while and I felt like, I screwed the kids up, to be honest with you. I made it worse. So I kind of got away from doing that and focused on the few things that I felt like really could make a difference. So like, you know, the the stride length, you know, the opposite equal. And then the other couple of things that we talk about were, you know, being really strong on the front side with like your front arm, keeping that front foot solid in the ground, a little knee bend, that kind of thing. And then really focus on, you know, like the quick, sudden acceleration and then the quick, sudden deceleration are, are big things that we focus on right now. And then extension is a big deal for us, you know, extending out there, getting the elbow extended, snapping the wrist off. You know, those are the big three things that probably I spend the most time mechanically working with kids on. We do a lot of that. And then it's, you know, beyond that, we probably like if you came to a session with me, that's probably the first 20, 20 minutes is working on mechanics. And then the rest of it, like, we're going to get out there and we're going to get rolling. Like we're going to bring receivers in. We're going to go through pass drops. We're going to work on how to read the field, you know, eye progression. You know, that was a, something that was like 
where I think Dan really opened my eyes was eye progressions, you know, and how the eyes move and scan into routes and that kind of thing. So working and helping kids do that has been something that I've really spent time on. You know, like how do you work to the backside of a progression? You know, like how do you get from like the front side of a flood concept all the way back to like your dig on the backside if you need it, that kind of thing. Like I, I when you watch kids at our level, at least in Wisconsin, just because we don't pass the ball so much, I, you very rarely see a kid able to do that. So that's something that, you know, those kinds of things that we try to spend time on where hitting those kinds of things, being able to throw the ball in rhythm is another thing that surprisingly probably 80% of kids can't do when they first start out. You know, they just, they get their weight back too far and then they have to hitch up. That's another big one. Those types of things like that. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like I said, it's a, it's a lot like less is more when it comes to the mechanical stuff and then focusing on those few key kind of points. And then we just drill the heck out of those and, and really focus on those. I, that's so good. The, the customization of quarterback coaching now, just like everything in our life is customized, but you, you pretty much the best quarterback coaches are customizing what they're doing to those kids instead of saying, here's my box that you're all going to fit in. And I think that's one of the benefits. And it's why quarterbacks are so much more advanced, so much better. That being said, you know, as well as I do, you know, if you're a quarterback coach or a strength coach and you put anything you do on the internet these days, you know, you're either really courageous or really arrogant or really ignorant because they are coming for you. Like it doesn't (laughs) matter who you are. You know, it doesn't matter if uh, 20 NFL guys train with you like some of these guys, somebody's going to get on there and say, you know, you're teaching this wrong or whatever. So, you know, I'll put game film. I'm not even putting indie film on there. I can't deal with it, man. I don't don't, don't need that. 100%. Yeah. And then guys are stealing other guys' video and stuff. I mean, it's crazy right now. Yeah. It's, it's getting to be a, I, I, I've like, even like, there's been times where I've, I've, thought about like man maybe it's time for social media (laughs) me to take a break like (laughs) i just can't handle like i I go on there and it's just so much like arguing and negativity about some of that stuff but yeah no you're absolutely right man i mean it's it's crazy the the things that you see out there (laughs) no doubt well don't get off there we need some positive voices out there or it's going to be bad so let's just let's hang in there so Let's, we're we're kind of getting to the end. We're going to go into a question we ask every guest, and this is a, uh, we have all this high-level ball talk and just some great stuff, and this is the stuff people really want to hear, Drew. So <laughs> we are going to talk about being an OC. What do you wear on your head during a game? Is it a ball cap? Is it a visor? It's cold weather for you, so I'm assuming there's a cold weather answer. What do you wear on your head during a game? Yeah, well, there, there's two answers. So when, when the weather is nice outside, I have a uh, I got a hat from our baseball team. It's the hat that our, our baseball team wears. It's uh, their dome hats. It's black. They're they're all black, and they got a white front with our uh, FS logo on it, which is like the same as the Florida State. Now we're the Franklin Sabers, so we got the FS Franklin Sabers. That's what I wear. When it's nice outside and once it gets cold out, uh, we have a actually our, our D coordinator owns his own like apparel business, I guess. Um, oh, so nice. he usually brings in some new uh, stock winter stocking hats every year. So this year we had some nice uh, black Nike ones that just had a, you know, Franklin Sabres and the Sabre logo on there. So that that's my my go to when it's cold. And, and honestly, once I go up to the booth, usually the, the hat comes off and the headset goes on. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. So the last question. So uh, you and I both know Jay, friends with Jay Wilkinson. He's a huge Red Bull guy. 
There are guys that are, you know, pure water before the game. Everybody talks about how old I am because, like, what my pregame ritual, my wife will, it will, I will bring the kids for a second when we're kind of watching the kids. She'll bring me a cup of coffee. I, I'm not a luck guy, but it's just a routine. She brings me coffee. You know, I hug the kids. So I'm a coffee guy, and all the guys on our staff talk about how old I am. But what's your pregame drink or even during the game drink? I'm a Coke in the press box. I try not to drink carbonated beverages, but in the press box, man, I'm going through two 20-ounce Cokes, and I'll have coffee before the game. So I'm caffeinated during the game. So what about you? So I'm not a big, like, energy drink or soda drinker. Um, I'm, I'm relatively health conscious, so I try to stay away from that stuff. But I, I do get – I buy these little packets of uh, – it's like an electrolyte mix called Element. It's just, like, spelled out L-M-N-T. Um, so I buy that stuff, and then I have uh, a supplement that I take – it's from a company called Thorn Supplements. I, for, I forget the name of exactly what the the supplement itself is called, but it's something to do with like memory. You know, it's got, you know, like ginkgo and like it's got a little caffeine and all, all these things that are supposed to be good for brain health and like helping you focus and that kind of stuff. So I pop two of those and then I drink my electrolyte mix. You know, I have that. You're, so I take those. Us all feel bad, Drew. You're making us all feel bad for being health conscious, and that's no good, man. But and they yes, need to give I, you an endorsement for naming this company. So see yeah, if you can yes. get an endorsement deal for this. <laughs> that's a good deal. Yeah. So I take those probably. I'd say, oh, like five o'clock. You know, for a seven o'clock game. So that way, that I know that the caffeine gives me a little a little jolt beforehand. I don't like to. You know, I used to be. Um, when I first started coaching and I was younger, we had a guy on staff that would go to uh, like a Costco and buy a case of the NOS energy drinks. Remember, you remember <laughs> NOS energy? You know, they probably got like 600 milligrams of caffeine. And I remember taking those down and then like not being able to sleep for two days after that. So I got away from those probably five or six years ago. But so I, I know I know what it's like. And I, I, I've, I've experienced the. Uh, the energy drink craze, but I, I got out of that just because I don't know. I feel like I can sit, you know, I like to be nice and calm and focused up there. And I got too low. You know, I, I was getting a little hyped when I had the, uh, <laughs> the energy drinks. <laughs> yeah. I think truck drivers and football coaches are keeping those energy drink companies in business, you know, with <laughs> maybe if we were more health conscious, like you, we would be, we'd all be better off. There's no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. So, Drew, this, Great stuff, man. Really enjoyed it. I think anybody's going to get something out of this. There's some really good things there. I've already got a page full of notes just talking to you. Really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, just appreciate you sharing your knowledge with everybody. And I hope to talk to you again soon. For sure, man. appreciate you having me. All right. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time on The Passing Lab. Josh, what's great about these episodes is there's always a ton of takeaways. So I know when I, I ask you to, to boil it down to three for us, that has to be a tough one. So what are your three for this week? Oh, there's a lot of good stuff in this one. You're right. It is tough. But three things that really stuck out to me is the first, I think the very first thing you're going to hear when we talk about, or you heard when we talk about the pod is, is the bad weather issue. And the that you can't throw cold weather or bad weather. And Drew kind of disproved that and talked about some of the statistics that they had and how successful they've been. And I think that can give guys a lot of confidence. And obviously, if you watch some NFL football, you see some adverse weather conditions too. But we can do that at the high school level as well. One of the my favorite things, Drew goes over a great passing concept and the chief concept that we discussed. And I think 
the idea behind having passes in your system, I've been, I probably use the term attitude passes too much, but I love that as just being, cause you hear so much about attitude runs and having those passes that are good P and 10 to start drives that are great on third down and that are good in the red zone. And if you can really look at your passing game and you can say, does this pass have those three ingredients? You know, it's something you can carry into every game. So having those passes carry into every single game really big at the high school level where we're so worried about reps and allowing guys to be able to execute passes from the varsity all the way down to the junior varsity level. I think the third thing I really liked is Drew is also a quarterback trainer. And so not only is he a coach, a lot of times, you know, there's a disconnect between high school coaches maybe and quarterback trainers and almost a little bit of a rivalry. But Drew trains quarterbacks as well as coaches at the high school level. And he talked about something I think every quarterback coach probably needs to hear, which is the less is more approach. Kind of as we're changing the changing landscape of coaching quarterbacks, you know, overcoaching things can be really dangerous with some of these guys. So have those quick verbal phrases you can use that kind of stick in those kids' heads and find the things that are simple that can make those guys better. Don't try and transform everybody and, and start with a blank slate. Kind of work with them where they're at and use a less is more approach. I thought that was great hearing that from not just a trainer but a high school coach as you said some great takeaways there and the game has changed in a lot of ways I agreed in in what he said is like what you might have been doing a couple years ago or even a couple weeks ago people may have moved on from so it's always about keeping up with the game and when I think of the game changing too man I think back to my high school days there were a handful of teams at that time who had turf fields you were playing in the mud and it probably was more true then that you couldn't throw the ball at certain points in the year. Those things did affect it. But now, I mean, he pointed out even how they, they keep a dry football on you with your Chick-fil-A trick there in the South. So <laughs> multiple ways you can do it. Right. Another great episode here on the Passing Lab. And we're at the halfway point of these. We're going to do an eight-week series of these. So we've done four. And I know we have some exciting guests coming up. And I appreciate the time you're putting into this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm enjoying it a lot, Keith. And I appreciate the opportunity. Be sure you check out Josh Herring's resources on the passing game. They are some of the best out there. I'll put a link to those. They're on CoachTube. You can find the link in the show notes. Follow all we're doing at coachingcoordinator.com. Go there for enhanced show notes with things like the diagram of the chief concept that Coach Ambrose shared today. We have our winning edge takeaways detailed in text and more. Again, go to coachingcoordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.